You're supposed to live that most aligned life. You're supposed to live your soul's purpose, to shed the things that don't align and then to welcome the things that completely support you. But do the work because that's why we're here. From To Be Magnetic, this is the Expanded Podcast with your host, Lacey Phillips. As the leading destination for neural manifestation, we dispel the woo-woo in order to help you create real, tangible results based on neuroplasticity, psychology, epigenetics, and energetics. Our goal is to normalize the practice of manifestation and empower you to get into the driver's seat of your life in order to manifest the experiences, relationships, and things that most align with your authenticity. Part of our manifestation process entails expanding past your limiting subconscious beliefs. Therefore, by tuning into this podcast with interviews from experts, thought leaders, spiritual teachers, scientists, and those with neural manifestation success stories, you're starting the process of expanding your subconscious in order to see to believe that anything you desire is possible. And by pressing play, the process begins. Welcome back to another process episode, which is where we showcase one of our pathway members who have gone on to manifest something extraordinary or big within their life. May it be career, home, relationship, financial. This has become one of your favorite podcast segments that we have, as we can tell by the numbers. And one commonality that I want to make that you'll begin to recognize each of these pathway members share in common from past episodes to new is that not one of them simply dipped their feet into the work or flirted with it. They went all in. I've been able to see this recently with my dad who's doing the work. They sort of touch in, don't really do the DIs, do it once in a while, skip around the workshops without finishing them. Whereas what you'll listen to with each of these episodes, these are the people that started with how to manifest, moved into shadow, moved into inner child, did all of the workshops, listened to every one of the supported classes, which is our once a month class where Jessica and I go through in the pathway answering members' questions. And then they've gone on to listen to every podcast episode. That's what you will hear from each of the pathway members that we share on this. And not because we're only picking people who do that, the ones who actually manifest the big things, they go all in. And not only that, but once they've gone through the work, and they get a baseline of it, they make it their own. So a past guest, Heather Whitaker, you heard that in the deep imaginings, she started out with them, listening to them, and they weren't as effective to her. So she figured out her own process that when she walks on hikes, she talks the prompts aloud. So she'll listen to them in her earbuds. Once she's heard the prompts, she then goes and talks out what's been prompted until she gets to the block, and then she reprograms it. And you have to imagine, even as you're walking and listening, you're in a hypnotic state because your brain, your conscious mind isn't flying around. You've now gone into an alpha or a theta. So 
That's what you'll also find in commonality with these members. They make it their own. They don't stop when they get a roadblock. They actually figure out their own way through it. Today will be no exception. So I'm going to kick it over to my co-host, Jessica Gill, who you've heard on the Explained episodes and the Process episodes, as she highlights another really exciting member within the pathway and how they've gone on to manifest something extraordinary. Welcome back, everyone, to another process episode. Jessica here. I am so excited to bring you Kat Lau, who is our process guest today. It's kind of one of those interesting moments where someone has really shared over her submission multiple times. You know, we have a lot of different team members look through the submissions and make sure it's a story that's going to resonate with the most people and can really expand the community at large. And so many team members were like, cat story, cat story. So I'm so excited to bring this to you today. Kat has manifested a move to Spain with a Mediterranean lifestyle where she can have siestas in the middle of the day and long walks on the beach being in nature. She manifested her dream partner as well as transferring her business from where she was living to Spain and continuing on and growing in her business. Kat's story is really interesting and I relate to it a lot because she was so dedicated to her work and her passions. She's lived all over (laughs) Thailand, U.S., Spain, Paris, and she's really dedicated to succeeding at things. And she had a bit of that good student complex that I really, really resonate with. And it's interesting seeing her make these pivots from different things that don't light her up to toxic career situations. That was the dream career she wanted, but realizing the lifestyle wasn't matching it. And it's such a good lesson in taking a moment of pause and really questioning what lights you up in life and this idea of where you think you should be and what your soul is really asking for. And a lot of that for her was slowing down, being intentional, being in nature, and not being that workaholic that she was trained to believe she needed to be. She also has a beautiful story of manifesting her partner And one piece I really love is it was so kismet. There was tests, but she was really in her worth when she called in her partner. She had a full abundant life with or without him in it, which made calling him in really easy seemingly after doing all of that work. But what I love is that even within the relationship, she's been dating him now for three years. He is still such an incredible mirror for her of places that she can still further unblock, places she can still integrate, and places where she can show up even better for herself. So I think you'll get a lot out of this episode. I know I did. And here it is without further ado. I'm so excited to have you. It's so funny because you really know when someone's going to resonate, when so many members of our team have sent over your process admission. We're like, ooh, I think this one might be good. I think this one might be good. And it came from like four different people. I'm like, okay, clearly this is a sign that we really need to connect with this person because so many people were expanded by your story. I'm having such a fangirl moment because (laughs) it feels so far away to be talking to you right now because I've done this work for so long and to be talking and sharing my story today is insane. 
So excited. So just some highlights for everyone. Kat is living in Spain. She's five minutes walking from the beach. This was a manifestation of hers. And she's manifested so much more, including her partner, freedom to work remotely, her fuck you fund, being a full-time coach, going for siestas during the day, and so much more. I think this is going to be such a vision holder for people who are looking to see how things can align when you're following your authenticity. And so obviously we like to start off astrologically profiling. So what is your sun, moon, and rising? Um, My sun is in Scorpio. My moon is in Scorpio as well. And my rising is in Pisces. So a lot of water. (laughs) Oh, love that. My mom and sister are both like almost all Scorpio in their chart. And then I have Scorpio moon. So I really connect with Scorpios. That makes a lot of sense. (laughs) Yeah, I have like six planets in Scorpio. So (laughs) wow, so cool. And what is your cultural background and upbringing? So my mom is Thai and my dad is Malaysian and they met living in Thailand. Um, That's where I was born and raised in Bangkok. Yeah, my my parents have been very supportive in my childhood and my sister's childhood. My mom is, you know, kind of the artist and spiritual person in the family. And my dad has a very solid business economic background. So it was interesting to see both worlds come together in our household. And my my mom's father, my grandpa, is a shaman. So that really brought a lot of color into our childhood because visits to see him would be me asking him stories about my future, you know, the boys that I was interested in, what I would be when I grew up. And we had a lot of ceremonies around spirituality. And if that wasn't enough growing up in Thailand with so much richness in in Buddhism and spirituality as well, my grandpa brought even more of that into our lives. It was your grandpa, was it on your dad's side or your mom's side? My mom's side. So then did she have the gifts as well or did she practice in that? My mom has the gifts as well. She was very visual, so she would see spirits. But the thing is, she ended up shutting it out later in life. She was told a lot that she was too sensitive. And I think it became a shadow. It became became something that was a weakness rather than a strength. So I had to go through that shadow as well as I grew up. And it was really healing to talk to my grandpa about it, actually, just a few years ago. Not about my emotions, because I think in Thai culture, emotions are not acknowledged as much. It's, it's still something that isn't talked about. But, you know, the intuition that came from my emotions, that was what I was able to connect with my grandpa with. And you, then you also lived in the U.S. for a little while, correct? Yeah. So when I was 13, I went to boarding school in the U.S., just a small town outside of Boston. And that was a prep school. So, you know, the goal was really to get us into the best colleges, um, Ivy Leagues and, and everything. So it was an intense experience. It was a mostly white school. 
But it was also a special school in the sense that it was very small. So there were 300 kids in my high school and we all had advisors who really cared about our development. And around my senior year, the academic program shifted a bit and they started to care a lot about enriching our overall educational experience through anything that wasn't to do with academics, basically. So I I did a program called Bowls for Souls, which was a, like a ceramic <laughs> program. <laughs> and Love this. Yeah, it was, it was really, it fed me. It really fed my soul because I love to do things with my hands and I love the arts. So that opened up a new door for me because at that time I was questioning if I wanted to go to college at all because my dream was to go to cooking school in Paris. So that was my dream. I had teachers that also, you know, supported that dream. They told me to be the black sheep. There was one English teacher who really supported that idea. My parents were really supportive as well. My mom was the one to tell me, you know, you don't have to go to college. I didn't go to college. Be different. You know, I didn't send you to the U.S. to study what you could study here. Be different. Wow. I'm just so curious, like, what was the culture shock coming from this sort of spiritual Buddhist energetic gifts are talked about regularly to the U.S. where it's more not not it's getting more encouraged the spirituality side of it but it depends on the groups that you find yourself in and all of that how is that sort of shock coming over I don't know if there was a huge cultural shock because people were interested thank goodness like they didn't oh, amazing. yeah I had a my best friend Amanda like we're still best friends today when we were younger I would tell her stories sitting in my dorm room about what my grandpa said about who I would meet here and <laughs> the spirits roaming the halls. And, you know, she was so open and we were so young. So I am really lucky to have had that. <laughs> you dropped in in the perfect spot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We went to chapel every like twice a week, but it was quite new age in some ways because the reverend was talking about all religions, you know, in chapel. So not too much of a shock. I was quite supported there. Amazing. And then you said your ancestors' gifts started to awaken around the time that you connected with your grandpa on this. And then you were also starting the TBM work at this time. It was around a rock bottom. Tell us a little bit about that and how you got started with the TBM work. What drew you to it? Hmm. So you know how Paris and cooking school was such a dream for me? I went and it was all of that. I had my beautiful Parisian apartment. I was walking distance away from cooking school and I was living in a really, really lovely area in Paris. But the test started to show up and my rock bottom came when I started to intern at a Michelin star restaurant in Paris. And it all makes sense now. I really wish I had all of this knowledge back then. But I was, first of all, in an environment where it was the ultimate stress. I was around sharp objects all the time. It was really hot in the kitchen. The woman working next to me was like punching her knuckles down at the table just so that I could work faster. And it was a dangerous environment to be in. Like I was kind of 
pushed around in the kitchen a bit. The chefs would kiss me. I had no idea where my boundaries were when I was in the kitchen. You know, I had a knife held to my neck one night. And even then, I didn't know that I had to leave. I had to have my friends tell me that that wasn't normal. It's kind of crazy to look back at it now and and see how I was going to push myself through anything because I really wanted to have that on my CV that I worked in a Michelin star restaurant. And so that was happening in my professional life. And then I was dating someone in Paris and that didn't work out because he was just so unavailable for me. And there was one night where I was waiting for him in my apartment, you know, I was setting up the candles and, and I had bought some French desserts and all of a sudden my power went out in my apartment. So I called him that night and he just said he wasn't coming over. And that was when everything was falling apart for me. I didn't know what I was doing in Paris. I didn't know what I was chasing. And I sat in bed that night that it really felt like a rock bottom and called my mom and I said, you know, I don't know what this is, but this is as bad as it gets. And then I went back to Thailand because there was nothing left for me in Paris. And I was really feeling a pull to go back to what was supporting me. Back in Thailand, I revisited, you know, the spiritual world. I started doing a lot of yoga. I was learning Reiki. And then I did, I started doing the TBM work. All of it came at the same time. And it was like a cocoon of healing that I needed to do because I was still working through why my relationship didn't work, why this life path wasn't working. And this was my, my medicine. And I think one thing about the rock bottoms is like, they can look so different for everyone, but it's that feeling with all of your security and stability, the rug gets pulled out from under you, right? So now you have this career that you were okay with everything that was going on, but now your eyes are kind of open and you're like, whoa, this is pretty abusive. I think I need to get out of this. And then you have this relationship and a partner that's not showing up for you. And so you're like, okay, this is going to end. You're in this city and it feels like you're probably not showing up for yourself. And you're like, I don't know how to show up for myself. What's going on? That's all of the components of a rock bottom. And I think so many times Rock bottoms can be these beautiful moments where it feels like everything's changing, everything has to shift, and I just don't know where to go from here. Nothing's going according to plan. And it leads this opening to a spiritual moment. And so how did you find the TBM work? Did a friend share it? Like, how did you even hear about it? I'm always so curious. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think I heard Lacey on a podcast. I don't remember which one, but this was three years ago. And I think I was just reading a lot. I was listening to everything spiritual that I could find. And TBM's work just stayed with me until now because it's so complimentary to everything that has worked for me and that I believe in. Yeah, incredible. Okay. And so what was on your manifestation list? What were you calling in? So at that time, I was calling in 
a job that I really wanted at this organic company in Thailand. And I was also manifesting a partner. So both at the same time, I got the job quite quickly because I was super clear with what I wanted. I wanted to help somehow with farmers in Thailand. I wanted to use my skills in food and marketing. And so I ended up developing organic skincare products and food in this beautiful company in Thailand. And then with my partner, I was single for a year doing this work, knowing that I had a lot of work to do on myself before I could call in someone that I really wanted. And yeah, I had to really meet myself before I met him and kind of did the hundred things I love about myself and hundred things I want in a partner list. And I let that rest for a while. And then after a yoga practice one day, I got a download from the universe and I usually get these audibly. So I hear messages and I heard, you know, that he's coming in two months. Wow. What a (laughs) ping. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. And at that time I was still experimenting with what I could trust, how I could trust my intuition and and hearing these things and, and my dreams and everything. But I trusted this one. But what I was also practicing was non-attachment to it. So I kind of let it go. But sure enough, he came two months after. And yeah. Where did you meet? So I was really aligned at that time because I was also helping out a nonprofit egg company in the north of Thailand, working with hill tribes. And the founder of that company introduced us because at that time, my partner had just moved to Thailand and he was helping nonprofits raise money. Basically, my boss introduced us. Did you know when you met him that it was your person? So so I... I stalked him before because I got his name and it was so weird because there was this photo on Facebook that I found of him and I just knew that somehow we've met before and that we're going to learn a lot about each other in this lifetime. But at that time, again, like I was trying not to be attached to it and I was trying to, you know, move along with my life, you know, mend my garden sort of thing. And when I met him, there were a lot of tests immediately because I was at a really high self-worth place in my life. And on our first date, you know, we had a really nice time drinking a bottle of wine. And in the middle of our first date, I propped my elbows up on the table and was like, what do you want from this? It freaked him. (laughs) It freaked him out in the beginning, but I think he saw that I was in it for real, even though we had just met, I wanted him to know that I wasn't playing. A couple questions. One, did he hit all the hundred things you wanted in a partner list? Yeah, like maybe 89 things. Wow. (laughs) That's quite a list. Yeah, yeah. And then how are you practicing non-attachment? Because I think that's such a really important energetic to touch on because so many people, when they're calling in a partner you know, they're doing unblock love, they're doing the reprogramming pieces, they're doing all this, they're passing the test, they're seeing the red flags, they're saying no to suitors that aren't aligned. 
But really, and I just told this to a friend, actually, who's about to go on a date with the person that she thinks is finally going to be her person because she's had so many tests. She was like, I'm trying to see if I should suss him out before to know if he's a test and if I should cancel it. And I was like, have experiences. Just go and have fun. Because when I called in my partner, I wasn't going into it thinking, is he going to be the one or is he not going to be the one? And if he's not, he's got to go because I'm on a mission. I was thinking, it could be him. Let's see what happens. I'm going to have fun. And I'll know, I trust myself, that I'll be able to tell naturally without needing to control it if he's right or wrong for me. And it took like, you know, the first date was obviously magical, but then it took a couple more dates to really know this is my person. And then looking back at the list and all of that, you're like, oh, whoa, yeah, this is my person. So how did you practice that non-attachment piece? I think I was at such a good place in my life. I really was trusting everything that the universe was sending to me. I was also communicating to my guides before I would go to sleep. I would say, you know what, if this guy is just here to play, please just take him out of my life. Please take him out. Please take him out. Because I know that someone else is waiting to come in. My trust muscle was so strong. And like I told you, you know, we had tests from the beginning because he had also told me early on that he was leaving Thailand, having been there only for a few months. So my initial reaction was, well, he's just playing. He was traveling around Asia in that time for work. So I didn't think that he was taking it seriously. So I was ready to say bye to him if he wasn't everything that I was asking for at that time. And I think that was one of the things that we shared later on that really attracted us to each other was that we were both really sure about who we were and we were really happy in our lives. And before he left to Spain, I wasn't sure what was going to come out of our relationship, but I wrote him a letter and I said, I hope that our free and wandering souls find each other again one day. And I know that if we do, we'll keep creating more magical moments together. But if not, then really glad I met you. (laughs) That's so beautiful. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Even just that perspective is the definition of like non-attachment. You're putting on the table here, I have these amazing connections with you. And I will be okay on my own, regardless of what happens with this situation. Totally. I look back at that time and I really see that nothing could mess with me. And so I guess let's get to manifesting moving to Spain too. And then we'll kind of go into some of like the workshops and the themes that were coming up there. Because I'm curious if they're similar to the move as well. So how did the the move go or the calling in going to Spain? Well, so we were long distance for two years and I had also manifested the work-life balance where I was able to work for three months in Thailand with this organic company. And then because I was working weekends, I would save up all my days and I would be able to also spend two to three months in Europe. And so that was really a joyful time for both of us because we could meet each other in Italy and then we were meeting each other in Mexico. And it was a really good transition phase to just test out if we wanted to commit and really be together. And then I just got to a point where 
I well, both of us did. And, you know, we talked about what it would be like to really grow together and to spend more than just a few months together. So during the pandemic, when that happened, you know, it started in Asia, but then we were joking about Spain ever getting it with his friends. You know, his friends were telling me in February or January that I should quickly go over to Spain before it really takes over Thailand. But a month later, you know, Spain had the highest number of cases in the world and the most intense lockdown. So it was really hard. Well, for me, mostly mentally, because I didn't know when I would see him again. And it was six months. We we hadn't seen each other for six months because of the lockdown. And then it just became clear and clear my intentions and, and my push to to be in Spain. Because other than the being there for our relationship, I really also wanted this Mediterranean lifestyle for myself being able to take long lunch breaks and being able to walk outside the house and be close to nature was really aligned with me. So that happened during the lockdown. I got all my papers together. We were super lucky because when Spain opened up their borders, Thailand was, I think, one of eight countries on the list that was able to go because we had such few cases. So everything aligned and we were, we're really grateful because we still have friends today that haven't seen each other or seen their partners for over a year now. Did you have a lot of tests come up around calling in that move? Mm, yes, actually. I had a lot of tests around my career um, and a lot of triggers. I got really triggered by my parents because they would say, you know, you've really made a name for yourself in Bangkok with healing and coaching. If you leave, your clients are going to leave. They're going to find someone else. And I was really triggered at that point because I wasn't sure as well how my business would survive if I had left. So I really had to do some work around abundance and trusting the universe in that and during COVID, I, I held a few community yin yoga classes that were donation-based. And it was crazy how abundant that channel was for me. I ended up donating all of my money that I made from the yoga classes because, again, like I just wanted to reinforce that trust. And yeah, I think a year later, and I'm, I'm doing okay here in Spain. Wow. So I just want to list out too for everyone at home on her list, she had a Mediterranean lifestyle, going for lunch and siestas on the beach, long table lunches with friends on the weekend, fresh organic produce, close to art museums, close to nature. And you currently live in a house that's five minutes from the beach and close to a bird estuary, correct? Yeah, like right in the middle. We're five minutes from the beach and five minutes from the bird estuary. I mean, your list to a T. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I wasn't specific when I wanted to call this in. I, I said that I wanted to be closer to nature, but this is pretty close to nature. So what were the workshops you were going through? Like what workshops really helped you get into trust to call in a partner and what blocks, like what themes were coming up in the blocks that probably parlayed itself into the move as well? So a lot of things 
came up when I started doing shadow and inner child. With inner child, I had to go back and look a lot at my attachment style and my fears around abandonment. That came up early on in my relationship, but three years in now, things also come up in new ways. So I'm still working through that right now. With shadow, it usually comes around emotions. So because I was really sensitive and emotional as a child, I was also told to control and not express everything that I felt. So with this work that I do with myself and my clients as well, it's all about owning and loving our emotions and seeing them as pure energy that needs to be expressed and put out. Because when we put it out and when we see what is going on inside of us, we can't hide from it and we also can't be shamed for it. So I'm quickly interrupting this episode to invite you if you're ready to start your manifestation journey, or if anything you've heard in our manifestation episodes has piqued your interest to begin. We have a la carte workshops in everything from the basics bundle, which is what we recommend to everyone who starts. It's the formula that actually teaches you how to manifest, unblocked inner child, and unblocked shadow. We also have a la carte workshops on love and money. But the real gem is the Pathway membership because it encompasses every single workshop we have. It's a year-long membership with full access to the few a la carte offerings we have and exclusive workshops not available anywhere else, such as the daily practice, which is what everybody in the Pathway uses, hopefully at least three times a week to daily in order to truly create the new neural pathways that one needs in order to manifest and houses the library of our deep imaginings, which is our unique hypnosis process that allows you to get into your subconscious and overwrite those old neural pathways, creating the new ones. You can use our special code EXPANDED, all caps, E-X-P-A-N-D-E-D, to receive $20 off your first a la carte workshop purchase or $20 off your first month of the pathway. Again, that's all caps, EXPANDED, E-X-P-A-N-D-E-D. Okay, now back to the episode. also mentioned having a lot of memories about facing racism, both in Paris and New Zealand. And how did that kind of factor into, you know, what shadow words were coming up as well? Yeah. So, I mean, I spent a lot of my life in non-Asian countries. And when I'm in Asia, my race doesn't become a topic or an issue, or I'm not aware of my race when I'm in Asia. But In my life, I traveled a lot as a kid, and one of my first memories was when I was in Paris for for vacation with my family, and we were on a water slide, and kids were pulling at their eyes, and they were spitting water at my sister and I, and I can still feel, like, to this day, the heat and the tingling on my cheeks that it's as though I got slapped, you know? So these sensations 
they're very loud because they carried on throughout my life when I was at boarding school. And, you know, people were curious. And I think when you're young, you don't have the language for politically correct or not being aware of how hurtful your words can be. But, you know, I was told by a friend as well, you know, oh, you have big eyes for a Chinese or you're pretty for an Asian. And there's so many wrong things about that. That Oh my gosh, yeah, it's <laughs> horrible, so hurtful. It's amazing what has happened in this year because it's brought so much light to what harm these words can bring. I think in the past, it's just a comment, right? So a lot of people can say it's just a comment, but now really looking into the energy and, and everything that it can hold for people is really important. Did you find yourself feeling small in certain groups or in certain situations because of these comments kind of sitting with you? Totally. I noticed when I did more work on shadow words that came up because of my race that when I was in Paris and in the US and even here in Spain, I tried to hide behind my social status to not be labeled as my shadow words. That was an incredible finding for me because I never noticed that I did that before. Like some of my shadow words were dirty, smelly and careless and cheap and messy. And I couldn't be those words if I dressed a certain way or if I ate a certain restaurants or if I spoke a certain way. And I definitely hid behind my social class to not be labeled in that way. I think it's so prevalent, you know, having this societal racism and it's really kind of abusive. It it is abusive, obviously, in some ways, but even just the comments themselves are abusive because now this sits into a child and they're thinking about this and now you're, you're changing your perspective of yourself in the world and you really have to do a lot of pulling back of, okay, this was told to me, but how can I show myself that I'm still safe if I am the things that this other child rejected in me or this other person rejected in me. It really is getting back down to, am I safe to be myself and seen in this situation? Yeah, totally. There's a lot of consciousness that needs to go into looking at all of that because I also can see that the fear and the feeling safe got passed down by my parents as well, especially when the pandemic broke out. My dad was the first one to send me and my sister articles about the Asian community being abused. You know, be he would tell us to be really careful when we're outside of Asia. And yeah, it's it's generational. My my parents both you know, experienced racism. My dad grew up in Australia and he experienced racism there. And my mom did as well when she would come to the US to be with me for Thanksgiving break. And she's completely sworn off traveling to countries where she has to get visas now because she finds it very degrading. Yeah. So it's, it's a lot to work through. What advice would you give someone who maybe is facing this or they're they're coming up with their own shadow words or dealing with things like this. Is it a practice? Is it a deep imagining? Is it a thought of healing? Is it a affirmation? What kind of words would you share for someone like that? So I actually have this process when I was doing the meet your shadow DI. 
And that was really healing because when the words came up, I really felt the sensations in my body for where that activated. And then I, I drew my shadow and it's, it's in the, it's in the DI as well to draw your shadow. And I really imagined as if I was looking at this person that had all these qualities, these shadowy qualities. And then what I did was I also drew a version of my higher self and imagine the conversation that they would have between each other. And if my higher self is this compassionate being, then she would be completely empathetic and loving towards the shadow. So that's where a lot of my healing happened, where I came to own these shadow words was having love and empathy towards this drawing of mine because having it in drawing is is so powerful because it's super it's very sad to see this creature in a corner of a room in darkness and what i really want to do is to bring her out to play and to be in light i love that and you use drawing a lot with the tbm work what did you draw a picture of again? Remind me of that story that it was like a picnic or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Drawing is amazing because I've always connected with putting out my ideas on paper because it's a very intuitive practice for me. And so every time I have a meditation and I, I, do, I can't find the words to really describe a meditation, a download, a visualization or anything, I just let my hands go wild on a piece of paper. And last year during the pandemic, before I manifested my move to Spain, I just started to draw my partner and I walking on the beach towards a picnic basket. And I realized that that was something that I wanted to really live with him. And that's what we do now. We go on picnic lunch breaks on the beach near our house. And yeah, with a picnic basket that he bought for me for my birthday, which was vintage. So yeah, my drawings come to life. (laughs) Wow. I think that's such a cool tool for everyone who may have difficulty with the visualization aspects of deep imaginings or meditation. If it's hard to really conjure a picture in your mind's eye, try drawing it listen to the binaural beats or whatever it may be and start to draw the essence. You don't have to be an amazing drawer. You could, you know, just have chicken scratch down there, but it's getting out that essence on a piece of paper to help you visualize and help you connect with what you're calling in. Mm, Totally. Okay. And now one thing I really want to touch on is, so you manifested the partner which is amazing. You guys were long distance. You finally moved together to Spain. So kismet. And one thing that I think comes up a lot and that isn't really talked about that often is once you've manifested your partner, you're still autonomous human beings that have their own work to be worked out. And partner, we talk about this a lot, like partners are mirrors to each other. So in what ways has your partner been a mirror to help you move through some of the anxious attachment stuff. You said you're still working through some of that. What did that look like in your relationship that you were in in Paris cooking school? How did it present then and how is it presenting now? 
So, yeah, no, it's such an important topic because even if I've manifested my partnership, my amazing partner, it's still very real. You know, we still go through life and emotions and and things. But what I noticed is different is that in Paris, I didn't know how to deal with any of my traumas, my, my inner child anxious attachment. So I was very avoidant. And, you know, I would always just go to break up with somebody. I broke, we just broke up our relationship in Paris because I didn't know how to work through it with myself. And now, well, my partner, thank goodness, is also very conscious. He's also a very sensitive person. He's the biggest mirror <laughs> that I've ever met. And it's a blessing, but it's also very confronting. And so things that still show up for me is, you know, I love to cuddle uh, at night. And if for any reason he's busy and, you know, isn't cuddling me in the moment where I want to be cuddled, I start to feel abandoned again and empty, unwanted, unworthy, all these words rejected. And I'm still working through this because as an adult, I have to realize that he's busy and that's okay. And I'm safe and I can self-soothe. There's nothing wrong in that. When I'm very emotional though, emotions still come through me in these moments and I let them flow because it's incredibly healing for me to still see what hurts and what I need to work through. And as you're working through this, you've been faced with a number of tests too around this as well. What tests have sort of come up? The test that comes up regularly, it's it's kind of crazy, but like, yeah, over the past three years, I've shared like either weekends or weeks with ex-lovers or people that he's... Your partner's ex-lovers. Yeah, okay, my yeah. partner's ex-lovers or women that he's shared a night with and and he stays friends with them. So that's why they're still very much in his circle. And these tests show up when I'm feeling really low self-worth. I'm just a very jealous person and I'm in fear and I'm, I'm scared that he's going to be taken away from me under the same roof that we're, we're sleeping in. And then when I'm in high self-worth, I just remind myself that, you know, if this is the guy that I'm meant to be with, then I have nothing to worry about. So it's definitely a test because I don't know why, like <laughs> why we keep running into each other or why we, why we have to spend so much time together. But <laughs> it's definitely something that I'm, I'm working through because one thing that I that has helped me was that I became friends, like really good friends with one of them during one of the weeks that we shared together. And I told her how I felt about her when my partner told me about their history. And she was incredible and so open. That was incredibly healing for me to talk to her so openly about it. I think too, just to like vision hold for anyone out there who might be going through something similar. When you're still facing and working on healing that jealousy or that attachment or that trust issue, you will get presented with a lot of opportunities to feel jealous. <laughs> and that in and of itself is a test. I remember 
even early on in dating Daniel, it was like all these people popped out of the woodwork. And I was like, why am I surrounded by, you know, it wasn't close. We weren't asking to hang out with any of them, but they would be at parties or they would be at work events or they would be here and they'd be exes or people he had dated once or something like that. It was pulling up that jealousy, that trust issue. It was like, are you sure you're really over this? Like, are you sure you're ready to move on from this? And it wasn't until I finally fully integrated everything. Now I, well, we're also in the pandemic, but they don't show up anymore. Or if they show up, it's such a distant, non-attached, I'm not even thinking about it. I don't even realize and see it that way. So it is possible for that to shift. And I also think that sometimes people might see, oh, if they have their ex showing up around them, he must be a test instead of he's a mirror to allow me to integrate something where I feel safe. Hmm. That's so beautiful that you've managed to evolve to where you are today. And like you said, it's, it's most likely about your triggers and what you need to work through rather than him being a test, because if it shows up really strongly in the body and, and the sensations in the body, then it's definitely a trigger. It's definitely a test. Yeah, you were saying how you can tell right away if it's sort of that trigger and test for you because you feel like your skin heat up and you have sensations in the body. Yeah, no, totally. The one time I couldn't even move because I felt like there was just electrical currents going through my body. And I just had to lie down for a little bit and just breathe and let it move through me. And that was just so clearly a test for me. It was like a hurdle that I had to get through, a very physical one. And I think how it presented for me and how it sounds like it's also presenting for you is it's such a physical sensation. You feel like your body's under attack. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. What's happening? This is the end of the world. What am I going to do here? And if you can calm your nervous system first, That is so key into then thinking about how do I integrate this? How do I look at this from a different perspective? How do I see, you know, an opportunity of healing? I think the first line of defense is calming your nervous system because your body is wiring to say, you're not safe, you're not safe, you're not safe, help, 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 red flag. And to reprogram that to safety takes calming your body down and say, nope, we are safe. Look, we're doing this. We're moving. Boyfriend's still here. Everything's still good. Exactly. I think that's why practices like, you know, meditation or yoga or Reiki, anything that really helps to slow down that fear response really helps us to take a moment before reacting and just become very aware of what exactly is playing out in front of you, and then making the conscious decision to either step away and set a boundary with that test and trigger, or if you're not conscious, to really just go into it, to really fall into that test again. And one other thing you had mentioned was how, you know, some of these exes presented as they moved almost into envy and became expanders for you. Talk a bit about that. Yeah. So I can't believe I'm talking about it now, but before I had so much shame because, well, I think there's a part of me that 
I'm just a really intense stalker. I think that's the Scorpio in me. Um, <laughs> yes, definitely. I just love to look, I mean, just to do research on people. But my partner has an ex who is an artist, an actress, and she's just really inspiring. But at that time, I was just so triggered because, you know, she's beautiful and she's just so talented in her art. And I couldn't stop. And there's also so much information on her. So I couldn't stop. And there was just one night when I sat myself down and was like, you know what, Kat, if you want to do this, do it well and don't be ashamed of it. So I went on like a guilty pleasure stalking rampage and found out everything that I wanted to and allowed myself to do that. And then the next day I went out to dinner with my girlfriends and this is something super releasing for me is to be able to laugh with them about what I did. And thank goodness, all of them are Scorpios as well. So they understand this craziness that we can go into. <laughs> but yeah, I shared that I I had gone through this and that was me outing that shadow as well. The ex ended up being a huge expander for me because I realized in that stalking that I just loved how free she was. I loved how expressive in her art she was and also how authentic she was. I wanted to awaken that part of me even more. And what I love about this too is because it was in your shadow that you were social media stalking her, right? you had a judgment on it of, I can't be doing this, so I can't, you know, really think about it other than when I'm doing it, and then I feel all this shame. When you out that shadow and you're able to integrate it and really see it for what it is, like, oh, no, I'm doing this thing. Oh, this is so silly and also, like, ridiculous, but whatever, I'm human and this is happening. Okay, cool. It lightens the tension on that subject. And that's where you have that beautiful opening where you can transform them to someone who you may have been so triggered by to an expander, where that envy shifts over to expansion because you are no longer shaming yourself for looking at their stuff or being less than them or anything, you know, like whatever is being told to you in your mind. And then you can say, oh, this person's actually showing me I want to be more like that. I actually want to integrate some of those things there. Exactly. It shifts everything. And I think something that really helps in this is knowing that I could go to my friends after and them being like, it's okay. Don't worry about it. It made me be okay as well about doing it. And just laughing about it is super healing because it brings a completely different energy to what I did. And now you can see like, okay, this is what I imagine will happen. You will likely see her as an expander. As you integrate those pieces of you, continuing with your art, continuing to allow yourself to be seen, All of a sudden, you're not going to feel anything about her because you already feel like you've up-leveled in that sense. And then that person kind of drops off and you'll find a new expander. Totally. I'm already feeling it because when I see something come up with her now, I don't find that heaviness, that jealousy anymore. I'm actually happy 
for her because if if she can do it, I can do it. If I can be happy for her and see how the successes that she's gone through, then the same can be done for me. And I'm, I would be happy for that too. I love that. And then did you have any magic dark periods in your manifestation process? Yes. I'd done a lot of work on unblocked money before I came to Spain, just because I wanted to be abundant while I was also living this siesta life, (laughs) like being on the beach. So when I arrived, I went through like a two month magic dark period where clients were not coming through and clients that had finished their coaching packages with me didn't continue. And part of me was in fear, but another part of me was in complete trust. And I think that was from the muscle that I had been building. One thing that I also wanted to really live while I was here is that freedom and that Mediterranean carefree life. So those two months, we planned a van trip around Spain and we were driving around and that really helped me to to accept the magic dark that I was in and to enjoy the sun and the seafood that we were eating that summer in knowing that something was going to come soon. I guess it was just dropping into being present then. Were you using any DIs for support? I think I was doing the up level. I just remember that the one I was doing made me feel very secure in what I had accomplished so far and to really trust what the universe has installed for me because I already knew the timeline and the framework kind of of what comes after the other. So I knew to just be at peace, basically. And what other tips for someone who's thinking about starting this work, who's not quite sure if it would be helpful to them? Yeah, first tip for that, and then I'm going to have a partner tip as well. (laughs) (laughs) To not be afraid to do this work, because I've recommended this to so many of my friends, knowing that it would benefit them in where they are in their lives. But they're always afraid of what will come up and what they will see and how maybe things in their lives will fall apart once they start to see these things. I would say like, don't be afraid because you're supposed to live that most aligned life. You're supposed to live your soul's purpose and you're supposed to, whether you like it or not in the beginning, to shed the things that don't align and then to welcome the things that completely support you. So a little bit of bravery, a little bit of courage but do the work because that's why we're here. I think that's such an important note too of not being afraid, especially when it comes to shadow stuff, because there's this feeling of like, if I admit that I am this thing that I don't want to be, I will become it and I will get shamed for it or people won't like me for it. And the exact opposite winds up happening. You love yourself deeper and everyone else is able to love you deeper because you love yourself deeper. Totally. It's both empowering and liberating shadow work. And then what advice for the person calling in their partner who's trying to be non-attached and just trying to make their life feel fulfilled on the other side? What tips would you give them? I think something that really resonates with me is this quote that I came across when I was doing this work three years ago. And it's, Don't chase the butterfly, mend your garden, 
and let the butterfly come. Oh, so good. That's <laughs> perfect. <laughs> okay. And last tip, last tip for someone calling in. I'm not even going to say a move because I think your transition to Spain was more even about a shift of a lifestyle, a lifestyle where you can have an afternoon siesta, where you can live by the beach. It feels more in ease and in tuned with nature. So what would you say to someone calling in more of a attuned lifestyle to what they desire? You have to be really honest with what you want. I think that's the first step because in the beginning when I was trying to admit to myself that I don't want to work all day and I want to still be abundant while being able to take walks on the beach during my work day, that brought up some shadow initially. But me being honest with, you know, I deserve that life and I can have that life. Start with that and then have fun. I started to imagine all the possibilities for myself. Do I want to be on an island? Do I want to, like, where in the world would allow for me to have that life? It could have been on an island in Thailand. It could have been Hawaii. But I had come to Spain. I knew that I love the food here. I love that Mediterranean diet. It just it started to feel like the, the big picture, that it was the Mediterranean lifestyle that I wanted. And that's kind of how it all happened. I think that's such an important piece is getting honest with yourself. Also recognizing the ways in which when you're looking to change your lifestyle to more ease, let's say, you're probably going to be tested in lack mentality because so much programming is you have to hustle, 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 do all this stuff and whatnot. And so start to notice where your tests are coming in that are around lack. It could be a money test. It could be a partner test. It could be testing your finances. It could be career status and see what things you're willing to just move through in order to accept a lifestyle that's more aligned. Yeah, totally. I was getting really triggered when I was manifesting that lifestyle, again, by my parents and them saying, just by them asking me, what did you do today? really triggered me <laughs> because I might have had like, you know, three clients and that's perfect for me. But in my head, what did I do with the rest of my day? You know, it's not okay to have free time during that. But once I started owning that and really wanted that for myself, it came. Oh, love that. Such a vision holder. Amazing. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Kat. This has been so expansive and helpful. I'm so excited to see what you call in next. Thank you so much for having me. It's really still blowing my mind that I was on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for all the work that you share. And I really hope that more people awaken to their truths and their soul's purpose through this. Thank you. We'll see you next week, guys. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning into the episode, and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did, we did. And in case you're not totally ready to join the pathway yet, I wanted to share a few of our free offerings that I'll often suggest to people as a little bit of a blueprint to get them started on their manifestation journey. The first place I like to direct people completely for free is the motivation. 
You can see it linked below or on our homepage as our testimony library. And it's categorized by different subjects, whether you're calling in career, money, love, wellness, and much more. When you're reading about a member's experience of what they manifested, you're actually seeing to believe and showing your subconscious that that very thing is possible for you. The second place I like to direct people is to the free clarity exercise, which is also linked below. In it, you get to try our own unique hypnosis process, learn about the science and some journaling prompts. And the best part about this, you'll get a tiny taste of what it's like to go into your hypnotic state, bring your subconscious forward and create new neural pathways while receiving clarity. And the third thing, if you haven't listened to it on this podcast yet, please go back to the episode titled Manifestation 101, where you'll learn the basics of neural manifestation to truly understand this process. So go ahead and check out those free resources, the motivation, the free clarity exercise, and the episode Manifestation 101, all linked below. And in an effort to make sure to have representation in this process series, go ahead and submit any process testimonials you have, especially to our LGBTQ plus community, our BIPOC, as well as the WISE, which is anyone in the community who is 45 and over. All right, we'll be back next week. <laughs>